Leon from the Alberta Motorcycle Safety Society, and welcome to Think Bike, a podcast about all things motorcycle and the voice of motorcycle safety and awareness in Alberta. We like to talk about everything motorcycle related and bring you guests to share their stories. On today's podcast, we are going to do a bit of a mid-season review, which normally Bryn does with me, but we're changing it up this year, and I invited two of our board members with us. We've got our one of our directors, John Wachuk from Edmonton, and one of our directors, Bruce Weiss from Calgary. Welcome onto the show, guys. Hello. Hey. <laughs> nice to have you guys join me for a little mid-season, um, and especially from both of our major centers. Uh, let's kind of jump into, sometimes people know the history of our board members because it is on the website, and some people don't. But John, let's start with you. What got you into riding? How long have you been riding? And why AMSS? I've always wanted to ride. I grew up on two wheels. It happened that it was under my own power until my parents gave in realizing that, okay, yeah, he might not live at home anymore. Maybe he can have a motorcycle if he did the course. So yeah, that's been since 91. So far longer than I care to count. Um, I did a number of different kinds of motorcycling, uh, endurance style, uh, racing, and then caught wind of what the MSS was doing and thought, you know what? I could get behind that. I like the message. I like the way they're doing it. Uh, I'd like to see if I can help out. And we like your one helmet yeah. that we'll get into later that's on display. Yeah. <laughs> John, or sorry, Bruce, we already talked to John. Bruce, what about you? What got you into riding? And uh, what? why am AMSS? Um, okay, so bought my first motorcycle when I was 13. Uh, I'm a gearhead. I've just always loved stuff with engines and wheels. Um, you know, so I started learning how to ride young. When I got out of college, I bought, a, at the time, a, a 73 uh, Z1 Kawasaki, the 900, which was the hyper bike of the time. Uh, rode for years, enjoyed the heck out of it. And then, of course, as as happens we get into relationships we get married we have children things change uh and it wasn't until about oh, 10 or 12 years ago that i got back into it uh so that's that's my history briefly uh why amss uh it's a good message uh we need to make a difference there are some things out there that i would like to see changed and they won't change if we don't have a common voice. I like that. That's why AMS asked. Well, thank you. And you are a builder as well. I am. I, thank you. Uh, I just uh, recently completed the chopper that I was working on. It's a 96 Sportster, highly modified, uh, frame up, build, uh, I do all my own work, my welding, painting, everything is mine. Uh, completed the bike. I've got, uh, happy to say, I've got a couple hundred kilometers on it now. Uh, it runs well. Nothing has fallen off yet, including me. So we're in good shape. Uh, it's doing okay. And let's give you a little shout out for your recent magazine thing, right? The the chopper did make it into, uh, are we allowed to say the name? Of course yes. we are. 
Revolution Motorcycle Magazine, a Canadian publication out of Quebec, uh, the only custom motorcycle publication in Canada. Uh, we did a launch here in Calgary last week of the magazine, went over really, really well. And yes, I'm honored, privileged, and humbled to uh, to have gotten into the magazine. Well, we're very proud of you from the AMSS standpoint as well, because we know you put a lot of effort into your builds for safety and for beauty and aesthetics as well. So well done. And in case you're interested, it's the summer issue of 2023, page 64. Perfect. All right. We're going to run right out and grab that one. (laughs) So this is your guys' first time on the podcast, but I know that you may or may not have been listening throughout the season or the past couple of seasons. Um. I'll start with John again. Do you have any episodes that may have stood out to you that you think were highlights for you? Uh, Yeah, I do actually. And it kind of, I noticed it follows a theme. I really like listening to and reading stuff from people who know what they're talking about to a really high degree. So listening to Justin talk about the gear, I mean, yeah, it's, it's not just, what gear but why and that that one stands out too as well as you know previous ones with the police officers it's like oh yeah okay sure yeah i know justin's quite a you guys have a history as well through road racing and stuff so he's such a great contributor to our podcast and so grateful that he's always so willing what about you bruce what has stood out for you this year so far well, I think uh, I think it has to be the Aaron Turner uh, podcast. We all love stories. We all we all love to hear other people's stories, uh, and that one was uh, was really well done. It, w- it was really good to hear his story. And it's always good when it's somebody who lives to tell their story. I mean, I. I... I hope for one day we're able to share stories that go beyond that from families who may want to speak out about um, losing a loved one, but to have people have experienced collisions come on and we may have some more in the future. Those stories I think will resonate more with listeners, whether they're drivers or riders. What do you think, Bruce? Do you think that's going to help a little bit more? Uh, sure, but I, I guess I would just say that stories are stories, uh, whether whether they're about accidents or or not, uh, about building, about riding, about racing, uh, about the salt flats. Stories are good, and uh, that one was was especially good. Well, we have some more stories that I think you'll appreciate coming up in the second, like the second half of our season, I guess, if we want to call this the halfway point that are more stories as well and hard lessons learned and couples who ride together from their perspective on one bike or separate and, and why training matters is another episode that will be coming up about um, experience that myself and my best friend Gina had had out on the road with a little oopsie. And that's all I'm going to say about that one. Cause it's a, uh, 
it's a good story, but um, that's good. I look forward to it. For me, I think the ones that the one that caught a lot of attention um, that got some interesting feedback was the one we did with Lanchy Deck on women on motorbikes. And the reason why this one seemed to garner a lot of attention was a the women loved it, of course, because it's two women talking about being women on bikes and and our challenges. The comment that we got from someone was we did it in a way that wasn't disparaging to men. And that ended up being a highlight of that episode. And I found that an interesting comment because a lot of times, you know, there's uh, when we're talking about girls on bikes or women on bikes, somehow I guess boys and or men end up being disparaged somehow. And we just made it like we're appreciative of the men in our lives that helped us, you know, get going in our riding careers. So that was an interesting comment. Um, the Cam Hayden experience was another one of stories of all the different collisions he's had, you know, and again, like I'm, I think I'm with you guys, the stories and then the knowledge of people who know what they're talking about is always, always a good thing. So switching gears, we talk about the statistics in our board meetings from time to time, and especially at our annual kickoff and our AGMs and, and things like that. Um, for the last couple of years, we've been talking about how rural Alberta has been an issue with the majority of fatality collisions being out there. And it was, I hate to say it's almost like challenge accepted and that has completely reversed. Um, John, I'm going to come to you for like, Northern Alberta, like we've had three fatalities in Edmonton this year. What are you seeing out on the road? You're out a lot, especially with your son who's learning how to drive. I mean, what right, are you right, seeing? Yeah. yeah why, what are you seeing out there? Uh, a complete lack of gear. It's almost every bike. Somebody's wearing running shoes, no gloves, might have a coat on if just a hoodie it's like i don't understand and it's it it seems everywhere more so than it ever has in the past and i i don't quite understand it hudson's fallen down on his scooter and figured out oh that's why you wear the coat the gloves and and the stuff that's important that what hits the ground is gonna is gonna dissolve with the asphalt so why would it be your skin now, with, with all of the collisions that we've had in Edmonton, I'm just looking really quickly here. So two out of three of the collisions were single vehicle, but all three of the collisions are allegedly the rider fault. What do you, what do you think of that as a statistic? It doesn't bode well. And first thing for me would be, Again, it always comes down to why. What happened? Why is this? I mean, two out of the three, all by themselves, serious crash. What led up to it? And, you know, if they had the training, what failed? And if they didn't have the training, why not? You know, why not training? Why not the gear? I'm proof positive that if you're wearing the gear and something serious happens, you can actually come away with it, not necessarily unscathed, but certainly a lot better off than you would have been otherwise. Do you want to explain a little bit how you're proof positive of that? <laughs> uh, well, sure. Speaking of the helmet that you mentioned earlier, yeah, I crashed on the racetrack. Had uh, two of us tried to occupy the same space in time at speed. 
and it didn't work. Um, I don't remember most of the weekend, but yeah, two of us hit the ground hard and there was broken bones, there was broken bikes, but in the end, if it's just a couple of broken ribs and, you know, and a hit to the head isn't something to, to wave off lightly, but to be able to be on the bike again in, uh, th- in three weeks, sure, that's, in my opinion, that's coming off pretty well better than it would have been otherwise. Well, and that was at the track, so you didn't have all the other furniture, as we say in the Isle of Man TT talk. <laughs> it was- that's, that's an advantage. There wasn't all of the other stuff to deal with on the track or on the street, but the ambulance is right there. People who are there to support you are right there, and you have to be wearing the gear to be out there. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. The gear is, is very important. Now, switching down to Calgary, because neither John nor myself live there, so we aren't fully out in the Calgary community all the time, although we do have three directors down there. Um, Bruce, the three fatalities in Calgary that we've seen so far this year that we're aware of are all single vehicle and all speed. Uh, what what are you seeing down there as as a like in your own view what have you noticed so i guess leanne something i've given a lot of thought to lately is we all make mistakes uh mistakes are going to happen i don't think we can ever train our way out of mistakes they are going to happen maybe I'm a little bit of a a hard case here or whatever, but I look at the stats and I consider the number of motorcycles and the number of mistakes that are probably being made. And if only let's, let's just use the number. If only three of them resulted in something serious, we're really not doing that bad. Uh, That said, uh, you know, speed, okay, we chalk it up to speed. But I think there are other things we need to look at too, like what what made the speed go wrong? So I know one of the, I believe it was a fatality, actually I know it was early in the year. Uh, I know the roads weren't cleaned up. There, there was a lot of gravel still on the roads. Did that have an effect? Was that noted, uh, you know, along with the speed or or is it just something that's accepted as being part of the roadway? Uh, I know the roads in, in Calgary right now are in bad shape, a lot of them. Not all of them, and I get it. The city can't maintain every road in perfect shape for motorcycles all the time. Uh, however, uh, ride a hardtail chopper, and you will find out how bad a lot of our roads are. Uh, and and I'm not a young guy, as you know. Um so you know there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of problems that way i was speaking to a friend of mine who is a road course racer very experienced rider and he made the comment to me he said man he said i got on a road the other night and got my front wheel in one of those grooves and he said i had to muscle out of it he said i can't imagine what that would have been like for a new rider inexperienced to get their front wheel hung up in the middle of a lane like that. Uh, so there are lots of things going on there. And then I also look at, at situations where I see trucks and a windshield washer 
container bounces out of the back of the truck or a piece of styrofoam flies out or you know there there's cargo straps on the roads and and all this uh, busted up wood all these other things that i don't know if they're being considered and i i guess where i've come to is i can't do much about the mistakes uh beyond what's already being done but what i can do hopefully is with amss have a voice that says it's important not to let debris lay on our roads to make people aware that that is not acceptable and hopefully to make the government and the municipalities and the cities aware that this stuff makes it difficult for motorcycle riders and we are a significant part of the transportation industry. I would agree with that. Uh, I mean, we as riders do have a responsibility to ourselves to be hyper aware of debris, hyper aware of road conditions, gravel in the spring, things like that. I, I you know, we have our own responsibility, but the, at the same time, one of our mottos is together we can do better. And together means that the people responsible for ensuring that our roads are maintained and, you know, free of debris or people strapping their loads down properly. That's also a big part of it. And then bringing government in, uh, I remember last year having a conversation with the city of Edmonton's Vision Zero department about the paint that they use for crosswalks and how they were off record talking with me about community programs of um, making those big, full crosswalk sidewalks painted in different um sometimes there's a pride crossing or whatever and it's full paint and i said you do realize when that paint is wet it's like black ice for our community and they immediately turned around and hadn't ordered their product yet and found product that wasn't as slippy as the normal reflective paint is so those conversations yes absolutely need to happen to make sure they're looking out for us john what's your thoughts on that um I would actually be jumping to the end of our discussion. You asked us to think about something that was um, a hard lesson learned. And mine actually isn't the racetrack one we mentioned. It is, uh, I was out on a country road just west of Stony Plain, came over a hill, and there was a sign that said, slow, fresh oil. I thought, okay, sure. I've seen this before. I've dealt with it before. So I did slow down. And within feet of being on it, I was down. I had no idea what was going on. I tried to stand up and couldn't. And you know, when you stick your hand in something that's sticky like molasses and it's all gooey between you, yeah, that's what it was like when I was trying to stand up. It was that bad that a passerby coming the other way with a car slowed down to see if I was okay and actually slid off the road. (laughs) It was just awful. I had to take my jeans and wash them in a Varsol tank to get some of the tar out of them. If I would have assumed it was as bad as it was, I probably wouldn't have even gone on it. But being aware of, like you said, debris on the road, that's kind of on us. Okay, we got to watch out for that. But you also assume that there isn't going to be something like a mattress in the middle of the lane, that somebody's going to take care of that, that somebody has properly done this okay how yeah slow fresh oil sure it's an inch thick and it's slime no come on so yeah there's 
it's on everybody using the road. Like you say, it's somebody's got to be taking care of it. And we have to be aware that if we assume it's going to be the worst, we're not going to be surprised when it isn't. Well, and that's, that's interesting. Like usually uh, sometimes when I'm out on travels, like distance travels, I see, you know, construction coming up and on the state side of things, they always will put up a sign of motorcycle travels really highly not recommended in this area. And adventure people will do it because, you know, it's dirt and whatever, and that's what they're used to. A sport bike, not so much. I turned around and went back and found a different way. Bruce, have you run into anything like that in your travels? Uh, yeah, so that that's another pet peeve of mine is um, vehicles coming, you know, service trucks coming off of leases, uh, farm vehicles coming out uh, off of muddy fields onto the roadway. Uh, you know, exactly what John was talking about, the slippery mass. Again, if you're driving a tractor, and I'm, I'm not criticizing anybody here, but if you're driving a tractor, do you care if there's a little mud on the road? But if you're on two wheels and it happens to be raining and that mud that was dragged out is nice and slick now, that's a hazard that a guy on a tractor in a truck doesn't have to deal with. And, and we do. And so awareness of that kind of stuff and maybe maybe some regulation, some control that, you know, what trucks can't enter, especially highways with with dirty tires and stuff uh you know slinging mud and and rocks that stuff's just terribly dangerous for us uh you know i i will say in the city here uh you made made a comment about i think the term used was hyper aware i get that we're supposed to be hyper aware and i know that i'm supposed to be looking down the road and, and all that stuff but when i'm riding on a city street that is just there's potholes and divots and manhole covers and everything else. And I'm riding a hardtail chopper. Yeah, I'm supposed to be looking down the road, but I got to be looking six feet in front of the front wheel too. And as hyper aware as you, you can be still might not be good enough. Now you could say, well, what are you doing? You, you crazy fool driving a, a hardtail chopper. I guess we could just outlaw them and that would take care of that. But it, it's for all of us. It, you know, all of these things are a challenge for anybody on two wheels. And I don't think it's an it's an outlaw hardtails by no means. They have a place in our community. It's more of um, the, the streets in Edmonton are, from what you're describing for the, the roadways in Calgary, very similar. We, we have a very big problem with uh, road maintenance up here as well. And I would imagine that extends to all of the smaller communities, uh, maybe not St. Albert. They're, we always joke that their streets are paved with gold over there. But, uh, you know, it's a, we need better in our road maintenance. And as you mentioned, Bruce, we get we, you can't do all the roads all the time. But we need better because although it's our choice to ride a motorcycle and yes, we need to be hyper aware of everything, everybody else has these things they can do that helps road conditions like strap your stuff down and make sure it is anything loose in your truck beds. Just do something with it before you're out on the road. Government really pay attention to the higher use roads, especially I got caught up in one of those little crevices that 
you know, took a bit to get my front tire out just the other week in BC, you know, like they're everywhere. And I think the more we know what we can do and what we can handle is great, but other people have a responsibility for that part of our safety as well. I think that's what we're trying to say. Right. And I, I think we're a pretty quiet community. We, we, there seems to be a history of motorcyclists just put up with it. We, we just learn how to work with it. Uh, I'm hoping that if we're a little more vocal, uh, motorcycle tourism is becoming such a big deal. Uh, we really are significant out there. Maybe if we start telling some people that we're significant, they'll start paying attention to the things that challenge us. Absolutely. Now let's get into one thing that kind of ties into all of this with our statistics that we're seeing. And John, it kind of uh, alludes to what you were talking about, about like the the lack of gear that you're seeing and, and stuff like that. Do we think there's barriers that are getting to getting into riding? And could these be some of the reasons why we are seeing severe collisions, severe injuries, severe fatalities? Uh, it's a valid question. It, are the costs prohibitive? And having a rug rat who's turning 16, looking at getting a driver's license, hopefully a motorcycle license, doing the course for a motorcycle, you know, $650. That's not a, a small ch- a piece of change for a new rider. If you're somebody older, established, you bought a $20,000 motorcycle, $600 in the grand scheme of things, isn't a significant portion of that. But if we're looking at somebody who's buying a $1,500 or $2,000 motorcycle and just wants to get on the road, $600 isn't going to happen. Are they going to skimp on the gear? They might. Are they going to not take the course? Are people who haven't taken the course the people who aren't wearing the gear? Because I know <laughs> I know for sure when you take the course, they drill that into your head. Wear the gear. Come on. So is that a reason? Is that a cause? Is it contributing? Is it completely separate? I, I don't know the answer to that. It's just a really good question. Well, and, and a lot of people out there will say you need to, if you're going to get into riding, you need to budget X amount of dollars for gear, X amount of dollars for training, and, and then look at what you can afford for a motorcycle. Bruce, what's your opinion on this? You might have a unique one. I, well, I guess I think there are two two costs. Uh, insurance and and gear are expensive. We know that. In terms of getting into motorcycling, uh, being a builder and and seeing what's going on with the the custom, you know, the local custom scene and stuff like that, I think a young person can get into motorcycling pretty inexpensively. You you can. You can put together, uh, we're, we have Kawasaki's and Honda's and Yamaha's that are 30 and 40 years old that run great. They, they run fantastic. So do the brakes, put decent tires on it, make a couple modifications, and, and those bikes sell, again, fairly inexpensively. So the barrier to getting into motorcycles in terms of expense I don't think is as much with the motorcycle as it is with the other things you have to do to have that motorcycle on the road. Um, and, and again, 
there's lots of guys that the first bike has to be, you know, has to be 1200 cc's or has to be, you know, has to have initials like R1 and, and stuff like that. Um, I, I think young people can get into this on 350 cc, heck, even 125 cc motorcycle is a lot of fun around the city and and really very inexpensive. I, I would agree. I mean, you don't need to be the biggest, the fastest, the brightest to like get going, just get going on something that you can afford. And hopefully that will leave room for training. It would leave room for proper gear. It would leave room for insurance. I mean, uh, just, just to put a little side note out there and a shameless plug, I guess we're going to call it. If you're an AMSS member, Klondike might be able to help you with a discount on insurance. You know, there's, there are things out there. There are programs out there that can help you save a little bit of money here and there on, I mean, courses are help with insurance rates, you know, as well. So there are things that you can do that can set you up and hopefully get you into the sport I don't disagree with having like an older bike. You might want to have a friend or two that know things about the mechanics of it to help you out here and there. But um, there's enough of those guys around like yourself, Bruce, who are willing to jump in and help somebody young learn how to maintain an older vintage motorcycle, which is also a crazy fad again, having vintage bikes out there. So any uh hard lessons learned from you bruce since john already shared one from himself uh yeah hard lessons for me haven't made the mistake in a long long time i i will tell you that when i was much much younger i fell down three times and every time i fell down i didn't put my helmet on and and way back then i realized bruce that is your good luck charm. Make sure you put that helmet on and you will not have a problem. And I can tell you honestly, I have never fallen off my motorcycle with a helmet on. So that's that's my experience story and, and what I live by now. Well, I must not have been a law back then. <laughs> well, it, you know, Leanne, it's one of those things when you're a, a builder, a tuner, a gearhead, you adjust the carburetors and you say, oh, I'm just going to go down to the end of the street and back. Right. Yeah. And that's when something goes wrong. Uh, so like I said, uh, I've only ever fallen down without a helmet. I'm still here to talk about it. That's a good thing. I do wear different helmets uh, on my touring bike. I wear a half helmet. I know I know you're not a fan. But I have a half I, helmet in my garage. I just haven't I, worn it for years. I wear it because I like to be able to hear everything around me. I like to be able to see everything around and I weigh the risk for the benefit. And for me on the big bike, the benefit is outweighs the risk. Uh, On the chopper, I wear a three quarter. I do it because it looks cool. I, I will admit it's all a look thing. You look like an idiot wearing a full face helmet on a chopper. Well, yeah. Maybe not, but I I do. I look like an idiot with a full face on on my chopper. Uh, When I'm riding for work uh, or, you know, any other style of bike, I wear a full face helmet. 
just do what you got to do. I understand that when I first got into full face helmet, it was for racing purposes. And I was not a fan of full face for the longest time because I felt claustrophobic in it. So I understand that need of like the openness, the, the whatever. And so for a bit, I was switching back and forth. If I was on my cruiser, I wore my half helmet. If I was on my sport bike, I wore a full face. I never mixed the two. And then somehow it started getting less and less half helmet. And, and then now it's full-time full face. And now I've got two different full face for depending on which bike I get on. Um, you're not the only board member who wears a half helmet on a motorcycle. It's, it's my preference for me is full face. Your preference for you is what you do. You're an adult. You make the decisions as John and yourself know, we, we have that icon stats helmet in our booth for a reason to educate on where the most likelihood of injury on your head will cause, will be caused if you are in a collision, which is around your jawline. But as an adult, you make your own decision and what's right for you. And we respect that. So there, there's that. And I know how John feels about it. So we won't ask him because he's Mr. Full Face all the way guy. I don't think you've ever worn a half helmet. Have you, John? Uh, not even on ATVs or anything. No. Um, the problem I have isn't with people saying, hey, I like the half helmet. I like the way it looks. That's fine. Go with it. Uh, I'll differ with Bruce on this one. It's like, oh, I like to hear things. Well, Protecting your hearing allows you to hear more. So if you don't have your hearing protected, you're not going to hear things that you think you might. The full face that fits well is actually going to allow you to hear more at higher speeds than, than not being protected. So yeah, it's, if you don't like it, then that's great. <clears throat> Personally, I think actually seeing somebody on a chopper with an all dark full face helmet, that's pretty badass. <laughs> <laughs> And this is why our board is amazing. We all don't always subscribe to the same theories and the same fashion statements or the same, you know, things. And I appreciate both of you for the ideas that you bring to the board, your enthusiasm for what we're trying to do and the new directions that we're going to take of getting a little bit more vocal as Bruce would call it, because it it's time. Um, not in an advocacy state, so to speak, or like a, um, we don't want to be, we want to be friends with people who can help make things better for us. So let's try and all work together for, for a better roads out there, a better whatever out there and try and get some of these statistics down. Cause, Oh, they're frustrating. And Bruce, you're right. Looking at the amount of motorcycles that are on the road and how many fatalities that we have, we're, we're doing fairly okay in in that respect statistically only but for the friends and family of those who have lost people our hearts go out to you we we wish things never happened and there are things that we can do um as riders ourselves to help prevent those and one would be trying to be better ambassadors for our sport and standing up with us at AMSS to uh, hopefully get some changes out there. Any last words from either of you before we take off? No, just try and be better. <laughs> Bruce, final thoughts? Oh, just thanks for doing this. Happy to be here and uh, look forward to moving forward. Awesome. I will, uh, I will be in touch with you guys soon and 
please have a safe August long weekend. We know those are busy times on the road. You know, drivers be uh, watching for us and riders be diligent for yourselves. Okay, have a great day. Thank you. today's mailbag we got a question from Corey in edmonton who wanted to know how do we get our statistics i mean we were just talking about that on this episode and so basically where our stats come from is news stories police reports and sometimes friends and family contact us with some information about um, a fatality that they've experienced in their circle we collect only data that matters to trying to figure out what what trends are like including the date the location, the age of the rider, the type of motorcycle and the cause, including if it's single versus multi, who is allegedly at fault and a possible reason for the collision. One thing that we would like to get that we have a hard time figuring out is whether or not that rider has taken training or not. And that might help us with um, some other kind of analysis. But for now, that is what we capture Again, through news stories, police reports, and sometimes through friends and families. So those of us who are helping us uh, collect the statistics so that we can figure out some trends and maybe work towards messaging. Thank you so much. Um, keep them coming. And again, our hearts go out to those who have lost a rider in their in their circle uh, at any time. We think of you guys a lot when we're trying to make things better for other families and hopefully they don't have to go through the same scenarios. And with that, that is our show for today. To make sure you don't miss out on any of our upcoming podcasts or listen to previous ones, make sure you click on subscribe or follow wherever you get yours. If there's a topic you want us to cover or a guest you think would be great on the show or maybe a question for the mailbag, let us know. You can connect with us through all the socials. Email us at info at ab-amss.org or reach out through the website at ab-amss.org. Always remember to ride smart, ride safe, and think bike. We'll see you out on the road. Oh,